0: This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. Patrick McEnroe here. I'm very, very happy to have on uh, my following guest, John Patrikoff, who has got quite a history just in, in business. Actually worked used to work for my boss at Disney. Of course, uh, not really in the ESPN world per se, I don't think. But now he's the CEO and co-founder of Athletes Unlimited, which is a really interesting um, new set of sports leagues underway in women's lacrosse, women's uh, volleyball, which is coming up, and women's softball. So, John, first of all, welcome. Thank you for uh, adjusting at the last minute as I just returned recently from covering the Australian Open. And I know your season just about to get underway down in Dallas with the uh, Women's Volleyball League. So that must be pretty darn exciting.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. Thanks for having me on and uh you know it was it was great. obviously, watching the coverage uh from from here at in my hotel room in Dallas as I get ready for uh our volleyball season which is going great and uh it was great to great to be over there and obviously it was a big big thing for the you know, Australian Open to to go off and, and go so well.
0: Well, I got to ask you about, you know, going off and going so well because obviously you had some experience with um Your first foray into this was was with the softball league, which was last summer in Chicago. Is that correct? So you obviously had to deal with all the COVID. I mean, that was right when things were were getting started. So what was that like? And then what have the preparations been for this volleyball league that's coming up, uh, that's just underway in Dallas?
1: So, you know, I'll just just go back to the beginning. So, So we announced Athletes Unlimited March 3rd. Of, uh, of 2020. Um, we all know kind of then what happened uh, right. later um, and the world obviously turned upside down and, and, and for sports uh, in particular. You know, we were in somewhat of a, a better position because the model we had started out with with Athletes Unlimited was that we were going to conduct uh, a six-week season in one location and we were going to bring in a group of players, 56 players for softball, And they were going to stay in market for that entire time. And Mm -hmm. we've chosen a a relatively small venue to start with. So, um, while the, probably the biggest change that happened, obviously, was so much work that had to go in just ensuring the safety and health of our staff and our, and our players, of course. But, but the model, um, the real only change kind of in the business model, so to speak, was that no fans, you know, Mm -hmm. were in attendance. But we had always never really relied a lot on, on the in, you know, in fan experience or ticket sales. So, so. It went really well, uh, August September, uh the softball season went off. Um thirty games in Chicago, uh broadcast across ESPN and, and, and CBS and um players absolutely loved it and it was a great experience. So so it went really well and uh it, it obviously gave us a lot of confidence uh coming into this volleyball season.
0: Now I know you 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 spent a couple years once you left um, Disney and so on, and and you had a great career at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival. But you also worked for the last couple years for the New York City the uh, the football the well, they call it the football club, but the soccer team in New York. And I heard in one of your prior interviews, you just kind of – because I dealt with this too, John, as well, because I used to be the part owner of the World Team Tennis franchise, right, in New yep. York. And I heard you talk about on one of your interviews that you've done about the, you know, the difficulty of coming into a market like New York or a big market and being the ninth or tenth you know, team on the totem pole. We dealt with that in World Team Tennis. That's still a factor in, in, in putting together the World Team Tennis season. And so coming up with this idea that you've come up with, which is sort of going to one place is in, in my view, brilliant. Um, and, and how did you get to that? Because I know you've studied a lot of you know, the background of what it takes to make uh, what you know what i call a, a second i mean a tennis is a second third tier sport in this country as well but for volleyball for softball um <clears throat> for the sports that you're working on those would be in that same area that's that the that same level so what did you you know what was the determining factor for you to say hey this is something that we need to try because this could actually work long term
1: yeah i, I would say there, there were a couple of things so um Actually, my experience as a Tribeca and then at New York City Football Club really played a big role in it. And, and if you go back to to when the first kind of germ of the idea of athletes Athletes Unlimited uh, took place, it, it really was back in 2018. I was thinking about what I was going to do after New York City Football Club. And I really um, took an interest in, in, in women's sports. I saw what was right. happening in women's soccer at that time. And I just thought, as I looked around at the landscape, I was seeing... Tremendous growth in, in valuations for men's professional sports teams and so much energy on MLS. And then I looked over on the women's side and I said, there are some incredible uh, women's soccer players. They've had huge followings, but the teams and the leagues really haven't been thriving. And so I actually got really interested in that opportunity, spent a uh, number of months exploring kind of the landscape and talking to a lot of people. And through that, um, I connected with Jonathan Soros, who is now my fellow co-founder and Athletes Unlimited, And Jonathan actually is the one who said, well, what if we don't just go and get involved in existing things? What if we try to go do something totally different? And I said to him, do you know how hard it is to go start up a a new sports league (laughs) from from the ground up? Uh And uh, we went back and forth. And then what happened is, as, as you just mentioned, is a lot of the ideas, started to creep in and we spent months going back and forth and that's when we started to say well what if we did this in one location mm. what if it was a shorter season and again my experience at Tribeca knowing how successful like a two-week event can be or, or an example like an Australian Open like how much energy and attention you can get on that rather than these long drawn out seasons and then you know my experience at NYCFC like you said was I came I'd come out of Tribeca where we sold out every ticket like overnight and then I knew in soccer especially teams that are playing in these big, big venues to start off with, that even if you have 20,000 fans, you're still not feeling a 45,000-seat stadium on a regular basis. So it really creeps out, and I'm like, let's not not emphasize the ticket sales piece as much. Let's really focus on where where the audience is and where the revenue is, which is around media and and, and content. So that was really the, the focus and the genesis of this idea initially.
0: Now, uh, being the daughter, being the father, I should say, of three daughters, one of whom is uh, very into tennis. The other two are more into dance. But when we moved out of New York City and moved up to the suburbs up here in Westchester, I mean, I mean, I always knew how popular lacrosse was getting. Uh, Soccer obviously is quite popular up here as well. But but girls lacrosse uh, is just absolutely I mean, it's. Even when I worked, I remember years ago when I worked for the USTA running player development, you know, every year, you know, twice a year we'd have our our big meetings and, we, you know, where's tennis? How's tennis doing overall? Tennis has had a bump thanks to COVID, by the way, in the last year. But it was always lacrosse, 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 the fastest growing youth sport. So I guess to me the question is always, and and we sort of deal with this in tennis as well, but, you know, the, the, the women in tennis, that's, you know, they make, they make a lot of money, like the men in tennis, you know, at least the top women players. But I always, I always tell the story, well, how come we have so many great female athletes in tennis? And how come we don't have as many in our country you know, great male players? And I say, well, if you're a six- or seven-year-old kid and you're very athletic and your parents are looking at, at athletics, maybe becoming a career, what sport do you pick where you can actually make money, right? And it's always tennis is at the top of the list for a young girl. Whereas lacrosse, soccer, where well you said you know the women's soccer team and what they did in the World Cup, I mean, captivates the whole country. But the difficulty of, of the of the girls and then aspiring to actually make a living doing that sport, boy, that's tricky, isn't it?
1: Listen, it's tricky across the board, and and I think you know probably your experience. Uh, and you know how, what the tennis world looks like, and you know probably you know how how hard it is for for people. I don't know if it's, if, if it's players outside the top one hundred or outside the mm-hmm. top two hundred, but you know it's hard for men in 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 non major yep. sports to make livings, right? I mean, yep. I see a lot of these startup leagues that are coming, and you know, um, and, and, and you know, players are not making a lot of money, whether it's on the men's or women's side. I think mm-hmm. that you know the women's. Uh, I think the, I think the real you know thing that I'm trying to address is I take it from the other side, which is I'm like. I think there's just a huge demand for women's sports that hasn't yet been, you know, satisfied. So for me, yes, it's about creating more platforms. Part of our long-term mission is is to enable and help create a system where women can make a living playing pro sports and the pro sports that we're in. But um, I really take it from the side of there's just a lot of demand from fans that's mm-hmm. not being satisfied, and that was the big thing that, that that hit me. And you know, you mentioned lacrosse and the growth trajectory it's on. What, what struck me about softball and, and volleyball was softball at the college level has 1500 games a year broadcast on ESPN from 2018 to 2019 ratings were up 20% in an environment where like, you know, everyone's talking about declining rating. You know, this is a sport which is hugely successful on television um, at the college level. So that struck me. Why can't we just take these amazing players and all this great energy and the fans out there and, and work, make it work at the pro level. And then on volleyball, It's volleyball shocking. There are 900 million people around the world to play volleyball. There are more girls who play high school volleyball than play high school basketball in the United States. So those were two sports. And then lacrosse, like you said, is just the growth trajectory is dramatic. So in each sport we've identified, the big thing was, were the athletes going to welcome us? Did they Mm -hmm. want this? And and that sounds like a small thing, but it actually turns out um, that, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. You know, some of the times in these sports, you know, they're, the, the athletes are either uh, okay with what the status quo is or engaged in other ways or thinking about international. So in each of these sports we've picked, the big key has been we have a very athlete-centered model, and we've partnered with the athletes to really create the league. And that's been a fascinating and, and really hugely important part of, of what the model is, and that's why we're really excited about the three sports that we're
0: in right now. John Patrickoff joining me here on Holding Court, and uh, Athletes Unlimited is uh, his... His company and the uh, volleyball season now just about underway or underway, depending on when you're listening to this, in Dallas, Texas. So uh, obviously the huge uh, storm that happened in Texas – Uh, had to throw yet another wrinkle into your preparation because I know you got down there, John, just as the storm was basically about to hit. So how did that affect? Because I know you've got all the athletes there in that one area, in the one location, training, getting ready for. It's about a 30-day season, correct?
1: Yeah, well, the season actually is is actually a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it's it's basically seven weeks um, that the athletes are here. We have two weeks of preseason, and then the season starts started on, on February 27th and then runs through the end of March. So, um, you know, it's a 30 game season, February 27th, the end of March. And, and uh, it, the storm, um, I mean, I think everyone now around the, around the country knows how serious um, the, the weather situation was. And yeah, we were here right in the middle of it. Um, you know, we're, we're playing, we're staying downtown in Dallas and, and the venue's only about a five minute drive away, but uh, between the ice, And obviously everything that happened from an infrastructure perspective and and supply lines, I mean, it it had a real impact on us. Thankfully, we were all safe and, and, you know, had heat and had access to food and water, and which was was important stuff. And, and, you know, but there were a lot of people who were helping us out or, you know, who lived in Dallas, who were working at the menu or otherwise. Right. You know, where where pipes were breaking and they had no heat at home for two days. And it was uh, it was really uh yeah. You know, having lived in the East coast and lived in New York my whole life. And, you know, you get prepared for, you know, when you know it's big snowstorms or hurricanes, I mean, and this is, this is unlike anything I'd ever seen. Uh, it was, it was really dramatic. Well, yeah. yeah Thankfully I, we made it through.
0: Yeah, that's great. And as if there's not enough to deal with, with the uh, COVID restrictions and all of that. So, you know, I was uh, doing, doing a little bit of homework as I, uh, once in a while I do you, I know you're a Harvard guy. I went to Stanford, <laughs> but you're, you have a real degree at business school as well. Um, but uh, you know, it, Volleyball is, an, it, 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 it to me, it's a little similar to tennis in that it's much bigger in other countries, right? It's it's hugely popular Absolutely. in different parts of the world. So, what percentage of your players in the volleyball league are from overseas, and how has that affected the preparation for putting this all together?
1: Yeah, so so we actually have five international players mm-hmm. who are with us now. They um, it was you mentioned obviously the weather we all know about covid the other thing we really had to encounter um which i think a number of sports are going through is, is the situation clearly that covid's created for for you know immigration purposes and everything right. else and m- all the pro leagues you know since since last year have had, um foreign players coming through something called the national interest exemption and we though went through that process right during the the transition from the trump administration to the biden mm-hmm. administration uh, and that was a whole nother wrinkle of complication that went into putting this league on. So we've got uh, five international players, which means the rest thirty-nine uh players in the roster are Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the great things is um, you know, historically what's happened and there's such a big NCAA presence for inter- volleyball, and there are a lot of great athletes and the US does really well in the sport, right? The Olympic Games right. and otherwise. But the challenge is for almost all those players, they've had to go uh, after college, and they have to go live overseas and play, you know, in leagues all around the around the world. I think, I think the players here—they
0: can make. I mean, they group, they can make money overseas playing. They volleyball. can make good yeah, money.
1: Right. Absolutely, yep. absolutely, high six-figure, seven-figure mm-hmm. salaries. Absolutely, and like you said, you know, it's a top three sport in a right. lot of big countries around the world, and and whether it's in Asia or whether it's in Europe or, Latin or South America. I mean, you're you absolutely right that there are a lot of thriving pro leagues around around the world. So for the American players, this was a pretty big deal. And like I think I said earlier, like we, the first step in this is we said, Hey, listen, we're thinking about going and doing this. We approached USA volleyball. Um, Jamie Davis was the CEO. And then he actually said, you got to talk to Karch Karai, who everyone
0: knows mm-hmm, is right.
1: a legend in the sport. And he's, the, he's the, uh, the coach of the women's national team. We spoke to Karch. Karch said, you got to speak to the players and see what they think. So we went out um, now almost a year and a half ago, um, to Anaheim where the, where the Olympic team trained. And we sat down with a group of the players uh, and I remember it vividly. We were in the coach's room kind of after a practice and we said, here's our idea. And we've been working with them since then, but for them, this is a huge thing for to mm-hmm. finally have a pro indoor league in the U S where they can play at home in front of fans. I think, you know, the impact this could have hopefully on, on young athletes and what that means. And then for the international players, Truthfully, they all want to come to the United States. Everyone's excited about this opportunity, um, and you know everyone's kind of intrigued by the the concept of hopefully being able to play in the future here in the U.S. But um, it's it's uh, it's hopefully a real a real game changer. You know, it's part of um, you know raising the profile and creating opportunities. You know, so that people and, and the Americans don't have to necessarily go. You know halfway around the world for six or seven months at a time without their families and
0: otherwise. One of the most fun things I had to do while I was at Stanford playing on the tennis team and supposedly going to school as well um, <laughs> was uh, going to watch the volleyball games. I mean, I, we used to go all the time to Maples Pavilion, and, and I never played volleyball and never really knew much about it growing up in, in the New York area. But, man, it's unbelievably electric, and exciting to be at a, you know, in an indoor in that, in that kind of atmosphere environment, male or female. I mean, I went to both very exciting. And uh, you, as I said, you get just some phenomenal athletes. So uh, I know you you've made the athletes more part of sort of the business model and, and, and how they can uh, get something out of it. So they're not just sort of, you know, being a an employee, so to speak, like a normal, you know, part of a team, you get, you get a salary, obviously, which they're getting that as well. But what, explain a little bit how that's going to work and what, and I know you're, you're having the players sort of be, be more like individuals as opposed to, uh, the team. So the teams are going to rotate week to week. So just give me a little overview of how that's going to work.
1: Yeah. So let me start with how, how the actual competition works. So in, in volleyball, we've got 44 players here in the league. Um, in week one, we picked four captains. Those captains then went through a draft process. Uh, it looks probably, if anybody um, has uh, played fantasy football, it probably looks a little bit like your fantasy football mm-hmm. draft at the, of the season. But they pick their rosters and then they play with that team for the week. And during the the games, uh, you're getting points based on how well your team does and mm-hmm. how well you do, and, and you get scored. So there's this leaderboard, looks a lot like a NASCAR leaderboard or a golf leaderboard. It's moving constantly up and down. At the end of week one, the top four players in the leaderboard become captains for week two, and then they pick teams again. So there's another draft. And then at the end of the season, the top player at the leaderboard is the winner, and they'll take home the biggest prize money. So it's a very different concept. Our whole idea Mm. was that we could engage fans around uh, individuals. Um, more so than like like you were saying earlier, than around like being the ninth or tenth team that right. you was know, associated with New York or LA or Chicago or wherever it might be, and so it's all about building around the IP. But but as you said, the players are also really involved in the decision making and the organization of the league. We have something called the Player Executive Committee. Um, it's made up of five players. Um, they are the ones who identified the other players to join the league, so they have helped select who is playing in the league. They've helped us set up the rules, the regulations. Um, they're involved in kind of a lot of the business decisions we're making so it's a very very different model that i think that exists you know in any other team sport uh at the professional level anywhere in the world and it's working really well uh, the players on the softball side we have started on year two with invitations back everybody we've offered to come back has accepted and, and is excited about coming back and um the model's working really well, I think. It's, it's, uh, I hope this will shine a light on, on opportunities that, you know, other people can, can, you know, replicate, so. It, it, that's a really big differentiator and something we're finding is working really well. And, and I, fans love it too,
0: by the way. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Cause you get, you get into your, you know, it's like, it's like, when, you, when I watch these uh, shows on ESPN now, you know, the daily wagers on every day and they're talking about, you know, is Kevin Durant going to score, you know, over 10 in the first quarter, you know, stuff like that. It's like, it's just people get into, they're into the individuality, even though they have the, you know, they like their team, but it's really more the individual. I think the NBA has done a great job at obviously marketing the individual. So I know you've got CBS Sports Network, and I think it's Fox Sports uh, as well as your two main broadcasters, but you're kind of taking a different tact, aren't you, with social media using Facebook and Twitter and some of the other, um, you, know, you know, ways to communicate out there. So how's that going to play into what the overall strategy is to get, the, to, to get this product out there?
1: Yep. So, so it's a 30 game season um, and we have 15 games that are across Fox Sports Network. We have uh, seven games that are on CBS Sports Network and then eight games that are actually, like you said, going to be streamed across Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Daily Motion. So basically anybody with an internet connection anywhere in the world is going to be able to see those eight games and anyone with, you know, TV services that get Fox sports and get CBS will be able to watch them. And for us, that was really important. Um, You know, we we really believe and have committed to this concept of, you know, making the games accessible to young fans, new fans. Um, And, and, you know, I think a lot of leagues now are moving in a direction of putting their games behind a paywall and you have to get an additional subscription or pay more money. And for us, especially as a, as a new league, we really focused on accessibility and making it visible to everyone. And then on top of that, we are making a big uh, investment in our in-house content, digital storytelling team. So we've got an amazing group of storytellers and content producers that I think are putting out some of the incredible top-notch content that tells the stories, of course covers the games, but also right. tells the stories off the field. Um, and so if you, you know, follow AU Pro Sports on social, I think what you'll see is you know, that we're, we're paying attention and getting profiles of the players and telling their stories in ways that you usually only see in the big top sports leagues. I think it's not something that a lot of new leagues ever have the resources to or can uh, afford to prioritize. And for us, we said, this was the priority. And I think going back to the beginning, we've taken those resources that we would be focused on selling tickets and trying to, you know, and travel stadium and, tr- and, tra- and, 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 and travel. and travel, right. Yeah, exactly. Travel and venue rental and all mm-hmm. that stuff that goes into it. And we've turned that and really focused it on, on, on the content and storytelling. And, uh, that was a decision we made a while ago, and I think I think it was I think it was the right one.
0: Very interesting. I mean, really creative, and and you know addressing, like you said, you guys are so far ahead of the game, even even before you know COVID hit. Which is, uh, I'm I'm just sitting here pondering, and maybe you can help me before I let you go, John. I'm 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 thinking about my sport and tennis, and what mm-hmm. tennis can learn from you. And from what you're putting together, because obviously, I, I don't know if you're a big tennis fan or not, but obviously, you know, you you pay attention. And, and, and just in, you know, as a as a as a as a person not involved professionally in tennis, what do you think tennis could do and sort of learn from what you're because it sounds like, you know, you've got a lot of the elements of what makes tennis successful, which is the individuals, you know, we got the by far the highest rating of the t- tournament was Serena against Osaka. Why? Well, because of Serena. You know, not because we did a better job producing that particular show, but it's, it's the personalities that draw, have driven tennis for many years. But it's also the, the, the difficulty of, you know, when I worked in World Team Tennis, for example, um, you know, it was hard to get that connection with the team in New York or Chicago with the community. And it sounds like you've kind of sussed all that out. So what would you say to the tennis world, I guess, if you could give it some advice?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I, I do love the sport and actually have, you know, family connections. My wife playing, it grew up playing the sport from, from a very young age and, and her father was actually a competitive counselor, so it's awesome and, and, and we do love it. So I love the sport. Mm-hmm. I love playing it. Um, and you're right that a lot of what we just talked about kind of in, in uplifting individual personalities and the, the players and, um, them on and off the court I think is, is super important. I guess the, the two things I would say, and, and I know there was a little bit of talk around this, I, did, I don't know the intimate details of, of some of the stuff that's happened, but I do think we're in this this age where um, call it empowering the players or calling it involving them in leadership I think is incredibly important. And you may, you probably know so much more, you do know so much more about this than I do, but I, that's my only general thought is that I think that certainly in the, some of the team sports we've looked at, I think that um, there's so much benefit to bringing in the players and, and, and kind of collaborating mm-hmm. yeah. with how the league is organized, how the competitions are organized, how the stories are told. And to the extent that that's, you know, controlled by the federations or controlled mm-hmm. by the associations. I think that that, that is a big, it's just a big lesson. I think that we've learned about what that can do in terms of creating opportunities and creating a successful model. And so that's definitely the, the big takeaway. And then I think the off the, off court storytelling is just mm-hmm. another one, right? I mean, I think you're absolutely right that, that, you know, there are a lot of stars that drive any given sport, but I think encouraging the players and giving them the tools to really build their, their individual profiles and their individual fan bases and how can, uh, an organizing body or a league really support the players in that. I think is the
0: key. Yeah, the new generation of athlete. I mean, they're obviously all over social media from a young age. So it's like you better you better pay attention to what they're doing, right? It was the the, the so-called uh, us, so-called adults in the room trying to manage it from a business sense. but well, we could learn a lot from them, can't we?
1: Absolutely. And and you know on that on that end, you know, we we actually uh, earlier in the season had some scrimmages, you know, and. We actually weren't planning on broadcasting them, but we just went live on, on TikTok with, mm-hmm. you know, one of our social media guys I was like, let's just go live on TikTok. ended up, you know, <laughs> attracting like a lot of viewers. So, right. I mean, you, you'll see some of our TikTok videos that we put up again, you know, getting millions of views. So you have to be thinking about new platforms, you know, this week it's TikTok, um, you know, now Clubhouse is getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. So we're already thinking about like the audio platform of Clubhouse. There's watch parties going on there. So you've got to be moving so quickly. And, you know, the days of just focusing on, you know, live broadcast of games or matches on television right. is long gone. You have to do everything. You have to be there because that's still yep. really important. But you also have to be on these social and digital platforms and constantly keeping an eye to the, you know, ear to the ground as to kind of what the, what the next thing is that's happening, and uh you know, it's funny. Uh, on that, my, I have I have three kids, and you know, my kids have you know followed athletes unlimited, and they love tennis, they love all these sports. But actually, when that that game went uh live on TikTok, it was the first time my ten year old called you know called, texted me, called me up, and was basically like, "Dad, I see your games up on uh, uh, going on <laughs> now," and I right? Like, you know. That's how she saw it. So
0: now you know when you've made it, you know, when you, when you. Exactly right. We always do. It's exactly right. John, listen, I really appreciate you uh, adjusting at the last minute and coming on with me and uh, good luck with how the league's going there in, in Dallas, Texas, the volleyball league athletes unlimited. And, uh, I will be watching. I'm going to check this out on, on some form of, whether it's TV or social media, wish you all sure, the best. Sure. And I really hope this, uh, Takes off for you. It's a it's it it needs to happen. Uh women, girls, ladies uh deserve this and uh I think the market is there for this to be successful. So I wish you all the best.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: John Patrickoff everyone on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.